caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Purcell, on my podcast, The Accidental Care Partners, as I bring you information and tips for caregiving from other family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next 20 or so minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there. Welcome to the Accidental Care Partners Podcast, Episode 6. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell, and today's show is about safety. In the last episode, I talked about the idea of person-centered or patient-centered care, and it just naturally flows into today's topic. There are several issues related to safety that I want to discuss today. They include things such as furniture placement, oxygen safety, kitchen safety, lawn equipment, bathroom safety, loose throw rugs, door locks, shopping, and last but not least, driving. If you have identified other safety issues and or solutions, please send them to me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I will be happy to pass these along to our other listeners. To kick off this episode, I want to share another snippet of Catherine Tucker Wyndham's book. It's titled, She, The Old Woman Who Took Over My Life, and it's published by New South Books in Montgomery, Alabama. Now remember, she is the name Miss Wyndham has given to her alter ego, who seems to have taken over her life. Miss Wyndham writes, Before she intruded, unexpected and uninvited, into my life and decided to take up interior decorating, I knew where every piece of furniture, every electrical appliance was. I could walk through the house in complete darkness and know precisely where I was. Not anymore. Much of the house has been rearranged for comfort and safety. One of the major changes is in the living dining room, where the pine table, the first piece of furniture my husband and I ever bought, has been shoved over against the wall to make a path for a walker. Rugs have been rolled and pushed out of the way. Changes had to be made to keep my walker or cane from getting entangled in the protruding legs and rockers. I love the description of all the changes that had to be made and the explanation of why the changes were necessary. Take a look around your care receiver's home. Are there obstacles to safe passage from one room to another? Is there ample room for a rolling walker without scraping furniture or the walls? Is there a need for a lift chair in place of the old trusty recliner? Are there loose throw rugs on the floor? If so, these can actually be a trip hazard, especially if you're using a walker with tennis balls on the edge. They won't slide over rugs. They'll just bunch them up. So if you have that issue, you may need to take those up and store them for the time being. Are there electrical cords in the walking pathway? Does the oxygen tubing reach from one end of the house to the other? Now, speaking of oxygen tubing, if your care receiver is a pulmonary patient with either chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or maybe heart disease and oxygen is required, you need to make sure that anyone who is wanting to smoke in the home understands the safety issue of this. You should have no smoking signs posted and enforced. If you don't enforce this, you really do have a risk of fire. 
If your care receiver is the smoker and is on oxygen, always make sure to take the nasal cannula off and turn off the tank or the oxygen concentrator before lighting up. Or you may find more than a cigarette is lit. I have actually had patients who set themselves on fire by smoking with the oxygen tubing on their face. In fact, one patient actually inhaled the fire and burned her lungs so badly she had to be airlifted and then treated in an iron lung. We want to avoid that if possible. Continuing with the idea of the oxygen tubing, many patients have had issues with tangling of the tubing. Even more have reported that their cats have chased the moving tubing and either chewed through it or punctured it with their claws. After looking for remedies for these issues, I found several ideas on the COPD website. They include citrus spray products. Apparently, cats do not like the smell of orange, so they will avoid it. Vinegar seems to be somewhat effective. Spray bottles with water can be used to spray the cat when caught in the act, and this generally will work pretty good after a few sprays. But another one had a very creative way, and that was to use wreath hooks, like you would use to hang things on doors for decoration. She put those on the doors going through her hallway. So the concentrator in the back of the house had a tubing that would reach to the front of the house where she spent most of her time. But as she would make her way to the front part of the house, she would hang her tubing across the wreath hooks up at the top of the door so that the cat couldn't reach them. And then when she got to the room she was in, then that tubing, of course, was on the floor. It still kept the most part up and out of the way. I really love that. I can visualize how that could work. Another suggestion was to use a lightweight garden hose and cut it into 10-foot sections. And then you would feed the oxygen tubing through the hose and then use duct tape to seal the sections together. So that keeps the oxygen tubing from crimping or becoming tangled. And it keeps the cat or a dog from chewing on the oxygen tubing itself. So those are some things. I have put the link for this in the show notes so you can find it for easy, easy reference. And the last thing that they mentioned was to purchase citrus-infused plastic tubing. And I think there is something called a gritter cord protector. But again, I put those links in the show notes for you. So next, I want to talk about kitchen-related safety. If your care receiver is no longer able to cook safely, you can unplug the appliance and he or she will not be able to accidentally turn it on or leave a burner or the oven on. They will just think that it's not working. If gas is used in the kitchen and they're at risk for leaving the gas on, then I would suggest that you actually turn the gas line off and unplug any electricity to the appliance. Microwave ovens can also be unplugged or removed if they cannot be used safely. If tremors, such as Parkinson's disease, are causing your loved one to drop and break things, it may be time to switch out the breakable plates, bowls, glassware, cups, etc. with non-breakable paper or plasticware. And of course, you can always use stainless steel mugs for coffee or soup. Just use caution so that those foods are not too hot when put inside the stainless steel because, you know, they hold the heat. So you don't want to burn your care receiver that way. Also, you will need to think about removing all sharps, such as knives, scissors, graters, food processors, etc. Anything that could cause serious injuries. And finally, 
Don't forget the coffee pot. If it can't be used safely, then it will need to be removed because really that could be a hazard. And I saw something later after I prepared for this episode about an iron. And I guess that moves us into the laundry area. I had thought about detergent and bleach and other caustic agents that you may find in your kitchen cabinets. My recommendation there is to avoid misuse or injury. Either remove them from the home or lock them in a cabinet in the laundry room for safety. Irons should never be left unattended. So now I want to talk about lawn equipment, such as mowers, weed whackers, blowers. These should always be used with close supervision, especially if your loved one is beginning to decline mentally or cognitively. An example is my dad. You know, he was in early to mid stages of Alzheimer's when we first began assuming the caregiving role for him. And he was addicted to his blower. He was a Navy man and was very particular on how he wanted his home and his yard to look. He kept his lightweight electric blower close at hand and he used it daily. The summer after my mom had died, my dad took me on a shopping trip to buy a new electric start lawnmower. He no longer had the strength or the coordination to pull the cord to start the mower, but he thought he could use the electric start. After several stops at big box stores, we made a trip to a neighboring town and he made his selection. We got home and I put the mower together with his constant supervision, I might add, and his nagging doubt that I could actually get it done, which was so crazy because he had taught me how to do all manner of things when I was young and I was completely confident I could do it. But he, on the other hand, was quite skeptical. So when I had the more completely assembled, I called my brother-in-law and asked if he had gasoline we could borrow to see if it would start up. And he came up and filled the tank and I unplugged the battery and we gave it a try and it fired up perfectly. And I was so excited. And my dad turned and thanked my brother-in-law for getting it started. I'm still salty about this. But my point is, dad could still mow. He just needed a little help with the equipment, and he needed to stay on flat ground, and he needed supervision. So you may need to do an inventory of the equipment you have on hand. My dad had a new electric weed whacker, but could not make the string feed correctly. It was a constant irritant to him. Upon closer inspection, he was feeding it backwards, so we almost had to sneak around to set it up so that he wouldn't try to do that part. We've since found half a dozen weed whackers in his shed and eventually learned that most of them work if properly loaded. But when he couldn't remember how to do it, he would just go buy a new one that was already preloaded and ready to go, which is really sort of funny, but that was a a way of working around his deficit. And you may find similar things in your own home. So this brings up another safety issue, and it's a little unusual to be thought of as a safety issue, but I have a story that I think will actually convince you that it's a safety issue, especially when we're talking about online shopping. I've had the pleasure of knowing a dear lady who has quite a number of safety challenges with her husband, who has COPD and early signs of dementia, but still a brilliant man. He has continued smoking in his basement man cave, even though he is using oxygen continuously through a nasal cannula and has multiple oxygen tanks stored there. 
His wife was a nervous wreck knowing this, but unable to motivate him, or she just couldn't find a way to stop this behavior. His life as well as hers and their pets were at risk, but that was only one issue she was dealing with. Her husband had worked in high-level positions throughout his career and was accustomed to making decisions and solving difficult problems. So he embarked on a computer buying spree with the idea that he would dismantle the computers and retrieve the lithium batteries for some future project that he had not yet defined. He was stockpiling lithium batteries. And as an afterthought, he was also stacking and storing all of the computers that he had disassembled. The basement was running over, but he was risking their financial security because he was not able to fully process the ramifications of the extravagant spending for his obsessive behavior. And because the credit cards he was using were all in his name, the wife could not put a hold or cancel them even with a statement from the physician that provided proof that his mental capacity was diminished. She eventually had to seek advice from a financial planner and an attorney to address this huge problem, to protect their financial assets, because he was going through it like it was water through his fingers, and she was so worried that he was going to deplete their entire savings. And if we look at this situation through the lens of person-centered care, it might look as if she should turn a blind eye to his obsessive and risky behaviors. But in light of this week's topic, safety first, it is clear that the voice of reason had to side with safety because the safety of this entire family and their financial well-being was at stake. And just to add about the oxygen safety, Oxygen tanks should be safely stored on their sides so that they're in a position where they're down on the floor, not standing upright, but down on the floor and not able to roll. So you might have to put um, some kind of stop a box or something to keep them from rolling because anything that can bump or cause them to explode would be very dangerous. The next thing we're going to talk about is safety in the bathroom. As your loved one's balance, strength, and mobility decrease, you may need to consider making modifications in the bath. Things such as grab bars, non-skid mats in the tub, a bath bench that they can use to get in and out of the tub with a handheld shower head can make bathing much easier. You might also consider higher toilets or even temporary risers so that you make the toilet seat higher can make a huge difference. But before you do any of these things, I suggest you ask your healthcare provider to give a consultation for you to seek the help of an occupational therapist. The occupational therapist will come to your home and do a complete assessment and make recommendations for the best changes to keep your loved one safe. They will help you know where to actually place the grab bars. They will help you know what kind of transfer bench you would need to fit your tub. They would be able to tell you what kind of handheld shower heads that you would need and where to place those for easy use. So I strongly recommend getting the OT evaluation. If you have a care receiver with any form of dementia who is at risk of walking out of the house unnoticed, you probably should consider adding another lock to the door. Now, I usually suggest putting this lock at the top of the door 
out of the line of sight and using either a bolt or a chain lock. These kind of locks will allow you to exit quickly if you have a fire or other emergency. But because they're out of the line of sight, most care receivers never even notice them. They just know they can't get the door open. But it also keeps them safe. They can't walk out and get lost. Um, the occupational therapist might also have ideas for this issue in your home as well. So make sure you bring that up if they're coming for an evaluation. And now I want to talk about the last safety issue for this episode, driving. The issue of driving is something both my parents had to deal with. Mom voluntarily stopped driving, but she never really talked about it. She had just purchased a new car a week or so before she was diagnosed with brain cancer. The only time she drove the car was for the test drive. After getting the diagnosis of brain cancer, she admitted that she almost wrecked the car on the test drive and how scared she was, so she never drove again. We drove her in that new car to all of her treatments, and after her death, 65 days after she bought the car, we sold it. My dad, on the other hand, wanted to continue driving. It's something of a miracle that he never got lost. Most folks know that the loss of driving privileges means isolation and dependence on others for everything. So try to put yourself in your loved one's shoes and offer compromises or solutions to alleviate their feelings of isolation, dependence, loss of their independence. Think about how you would feel and then offer things to offset that. Now, here's the story about my dad. And it goes back to the lawnmower story when he took me on this joyride looking for the new lawnmower to buy. He was still functioning pretty well, but his short-term memory was failing him at this point in time. So obviously he was still functioning if we thought he was still able to mow. And he was wanting to drive and I was thinking, okay, this will give me an opportunity to evaluate his driving. He drove us to the neighboring town and really he drove pretty well. He did not wander across the center lane. He did not wander off the road. He really drove well, but it was obvious that he was nervous and bothered because he handed me the key after he parked the car and told me he wanted me to drive home. That was huge. Y'all, that was big. And when all was said and done, my sisters and I talked to him about it together. He didn't like the idea of not driving, and we promised we would take him anywhere he wanted to go but his dementia actually worked in our favor at this time. He would forget that he wasn't driving and would look for his keys until he forgot what he was looking for or we were successful in diverting his attention to something else. But we did have a secondary plan in place in case he got belligerent about it because they can get belligerent when they realize that things are not working as they want them to. So we had decided that we would disable the car by removing the battery cable if we needed to. Thankfully, we didn't have to do that. But this is the perfect example of safety first. He was not only putting himself at risk, but all the other drivers on the road as well. This was our biggest concern, and it may be yours as well. In episode 12a, I will be discussing how to have the difficult conversation about the specific issue of driving safety. We always knew there would come a day when our parents or spouses or other loved ones would need assistance. We just never thought it would come so suddenly and unexpectedly. And I suspect most of you family care partners out there had a similar notion. 
So our plan is to take one day at a time, do whatever it takes to provide the best possible care for our loved ones, always keeping their desires and preferences at the center of decision making, but while also ensuring their safety. So next episode, I will talk about caring for someone with a chronic disease and how to plan for the long haul. If you haven't already listened to episode four, you might want to do that before next week. It contains many things that can help make your life run a bit better as you settle into providing long-term care for your loved one. I so appreciate you for listening, so I'll see you next time. Well, that's all I have for today. If you found the information to be useful, uh, you might want to check our Facebook page, which is also titled The Accidental Care Partners, for updates on future caregiver support groups. To help other caregivers find us, please use the like, share, and subscribe buttons. Show notes are posted on the AccidentalCarePartners.com website, and you can also leave comments there. Another way to reach me is by sending questions or comments through email to carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I'll respond to you as soon as I can, and we'll use your feedback to produce future episodes. So until next time, always remember, caregiving is hard, so be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.